This is Adrian here with Red Button. An hour with yours truly. Uh, an hour, yes. How you're all listening out there, David? <laughs> He's the uh, the trustee of the radio station. One hour with me, your host Adrian. And wasn't that a lovely edition of Out of Box Thirty Nine? I mean, Bill and Ian—they go from strength to strength. They really do. And so, you know, on the crest of that wave, I, I did have a little word with Bill and Ian, and I said, you know, last couple of weeks, Red Button has been taken off after only 15 minutes for whatever technical reasons. And uh, actually, that's not what I said. What I said is, I went to Bill and I said, uh, a friend of mine on Community Radio in Hertfordshire uh, has been taken off the air two weeks in a row after only 15 minutes even though it's supposed to be one hour and uh, Bill looked at me and he said uh, well Adrian if I were you I'd say to your friend in Hertfordshire don't look a gift horse in the mouth and I thought about it a little bit and I thought well wait a minute why wouldn't you look a gift horse in the mouth? Because, I mean, like, if somebody gives you a horse, if you if you own a horse, that's really quite a big responsibility. Somebody giving you a horse is, is no small matter. And, and you look at it in the mouth, because what happens if it has some sort of dental problem? Yeah? How many horse dentists do you know? I mean, you might even have to travel. You might have to travel closer to London. I don't know. Dental problems in a horse can set you back hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Yeah, and you know, you didn't even want this horse. You know, somebody just gave you the horse, and then you look at it in the mouth, and then people are saying, "Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, Adrian. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth." I mean, what kind of advice is that? What kind of advice is that? No thanks. I'll stick with my cats. So just because some radio presenter, who has a very good show, I admit it, comes up to you and gives you some advice in the form of some pithy little little saying, doesn't necessarily mean that it actually applies to the problem that you're facing. That's what I want to say. And I'm not, I'm, I sound like I'm upset, but I'm not. I'm not upset. I hope your records always break New shoes make your feet ache I hope your luck will get stuck On black hats until you want a kiss from me I hope your TV's always back But I'm not angry, I'm just sad Angry people sound like gloomy types. We certainly don't usually think of them as optimists. And yet, beneath that gruff surface, they truly are much to their cost. Life is, outside of the odd, brief, sunny patch, a sequence of disappointments, misunderstandings, sorrows, griefs, and eventually catastrophes. But I'm not angry, I'm just sad. This is Box 39, Red Button, Wise and Right on Radio, with only Adrian for a trial period. Still probably working at a nine to five. 
See, this is a very interesting piece of music, in so far as it seems to be angry and motivated by anger. But if you actually pay close attention to it, the people singing here could scarcely be happier. They have some kind of empowerment from their revenge and from the feeling that、uh, the discomfort that the person that is causing their anger is feeling. So. Sometimes this juxtaposition, this sweet and sour mix, can create quite an interesting atmosphere. Take, for example, this world-famous game. Angry Birds. Now I haven't played it myself. I have to admit, but you look at those funny little angry faces, big thick eyebrows pointing downwards, and little the little beaks, and yet there are teeth as well. So you've got beaks and the rictus of teeth sticking out. And presumably in this game they do really angry things. But listen to this music. Listen to this music. This this flute music. It's so beautiful. In a way, I suppose it's confusing, but it's obvious that these angry birds live in a beautiful world. This sweet and sourness, and I think there's a lesson for us all here. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street, and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do. And there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller. And all we say is, "Please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone." Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first you've got to get mad. You've got to say, "I'm a human being. God damn it! My life has value." I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You're listening to Red Button on Colm Radio, one hundred six point six FM. 
another biker And I showed him a picture of you I said, pal, get to know if you like her Seemed like the least I could do Cause when he's charging his chopper Up and down your carpeted halls You'll think me by contrast quite proper Never mind I stumble and fall Never mind I stumble and fall You imagine me sipping champagne from your food For a taste of your elegant product I may be going to hell in a bucket, babe But at least I'm enjoying the ride At least I'm enjoying the ride Pretender. Somehow, baby, got hard as it gets With her black leather cross box suspenders Her chair and her whip and her pet Who we know you the reincarnation Of the ravenous Catherine the Great Then we know how you love your old Asians And the C-rated scenes you create Champagne from your booth For a taste of an elegant pie I mean you go to hell in a bucket, babe But at least I'm enjoying the ride At least I'm enjoying the ride Yeah! At least I'm enjoying the ride Alright, I'm going to translate this for you from the original Japanese She says, my name is Keiko Yuhama I am lucky enough to have a job where I love what I do, but that doesn't mean I love everything that happens. Sometimes I don't think I am treated fairly. For example, I make a radio program in Tokyo and I always prepare enough for a whole hour but sometimes the powers that be just cut my broadcast short but do so because of differing taste and sensibilities. It makes me upset. Oh right, that's a text and yes, it's from David at Cone Radio. Right. Now, he says he likes Scary Monsters, but he doesn't like that track. A bit too raucous. And he also thinks that the Japanese, that it wasn't what she was saying at all. And so I've got to hand over to Bill and Ian at the Outdoor Broadcasting Unit. So I'm going to press the red button. Red Button, Shooting the Breeze. Well, uh, that was a bit unexpected. Uh, thanks, Adrian, for that. We thought you were going to do the full hour. Full hour. You've, you've rather caught us here. Uh, Mike's just gone off to get a drink, so he'll be back in a moment. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Anyway, you're all absolutely welcome to join us here. Hello to everyone listening. And this is... Box 39, red button. Now, let me ask you that uh, old pub question. I'm going to ask, uh, we've, we've got today with us, I'll tell you who we've got to set the scene uh, before I ask the question. I've got uh, to my right, uh, just slightly in front of me, I've got Ian Talentire. Hello, Ian. Good evening, everybody. And then sitting on Ian's right, it's Bob May. Hi, Bob. 
Hello there. And just coming back now with the drinks. Did you get any nuts? It's uh, yeah. it's Mike Howard. Lawrence oh. Tree, four pints and uh, four packets of nuts. Excellent. Just put them down there. Are they bobbies? There we go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Now, here's that pub question I was going to ask you, gentlemen. Here it goes. How many people are there in the air at this very moment? What I mean is... How many people, humans on planet Earth, are actually on aircraft, on hot air balloons, in uh, helicopters? How many is it? I mean, there must be quite a lot of people. I happen to look, because it's one of my favourite things. I like looking on Google. I like finding out the answers on Google. I think it's a great thing to do. And there were estimates between half a million or even just slightly more than a million, at any one moment, as we speak. Now, it does depend on how you calculate. There are debatable variables like how many people on the flight, how many long the average flight is, what time of day it is. You know, because when the United States is awake, there's a lot more flights. Aren't you missing the point here, Bill? Go on. Why do you need to know that? Why is that so important? Is well, the I'm, world, in- is I'm interested by it. Okay, you're interested in it, it's, but as a... It's quite an interesting question, but do you have to go and Google it? Do you have to type it into that coloured screen to get the answer? But but surely, if I don't know the answer, that's that's what Google's for. Uh, what do you think, guys? Well, it is, but it's also you know, for, for the answer to something is something that you, I would say, you need to know. There are there are things in life which there's no absolutely no requirement to know the answer, and that actually makes life more interesting. Not knowing the answer. You could sit there for the rest of your life tapping into your phone every two minutes to find the answer to something posed by one of those impossible children that you're trying to teach. That's right. Would you like to explain, Bill, um, how that um, if you if you actually got that right, there's no right or wrong because uh, we don't know, but uh, how would that enhance your life if you found the answer to it? Well, it means that if the question came up on a pub quiz, Mike, I'd get it right. Well, oh. There's a fairly big difference between half a million and a million. It's going to depend on which edge of the extreme the quizmaster's looking for, isn't it? Yeah. And especially if it's the tiebreaker at the end, yeah. and it's nearest the right answer that's going to win. But I'd be gutted if I didn't know the So answer. you'd have to plump for 750,000, wouldn't you? <laughs> what about if Phil was disqualified because he was secretly looking at his Google? He's got some device to see Absolutely. through his pocket. So, so basically, all, his Google, all you're highlighting at the he'd moment... He'd be disqualified, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. All he's highlighting at the moment is that the use of Google to answer every single question posed, A, will lead to the failure of all pub quizzes, and it will lead to us not wanting to have you sat at the same table at, with us at the pub because all you're going to be doing is tap, tap, tapping away on that screen. Until yeah. it's his round. Uh, so there is a use for him being sat at the table. <laughs> but uh, you see, the reason, I, uh, the reason I'm so glad that we have this instant knowledge is, is uh, one of the things I used to be involved in is history. And I know from the past, going back to medieval That is days, what history is, Bill, yeah. the past. <laughs> <laughs> we're creating it, but the history we, we learn about is the past. So thank, thank you for pointing that out. Did you Google that? <laughs> <laughs> in the past, people weren't allowed to find things out, were they? You were punished. If, for example, you said, I'm not really sure uh, that this doctor knows what he's doing when he says that his, my, my four humours are in balance. If you said, no, I'm going to investigate this, that was going against the word of God, going against religion. And they had you by the the baubles they would punish you now this is this is a relief this is we're moving forward from that surely well i guess it is a relief that you can now tap a question into a computer screen rather than having your head cut off and shoved on a pike over the tower but you know that's also referred to as progress isn't it but i still want to come back to this airplane question because you know What's the benefit in knowing the number? Does it make the Earth spin more quickly? Uh, do, we, do we need to balance the takeoff and landings of all the planes, east, west, north, south, so that the Earth isn't spun or rotated the wrong way? I mean, if, if it was having an effect on the planet like that, I would be more interested in knowing the answer. So do, do half the planes in the world take off east-west and the others west-east? Is that what you're telling us, Some to keep north, the rotation of the, the Earth in balance? No, don't forget the north-south and the south-north. Well, that's, I, I posed the question. Could you Google it for us, please? <laughs> don't also forget that planes take off into the wind and prevailing winds are from the west. Do they have to take off into the wind? You're, you're definitely taking on the role of trainee scientists trainee there, scientists aren't you, Bob? Yeah. in the making. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, OK, look. I've, I need another pint. 
I'm going to send you off, Ian, because you've been very, very baity with me. And uh, I think that calls for you to get the next round. Are you pointing out this is your show? Yeah. You're delivering, you're delivering sort of decrees now. We're back to that crown you wore the other week. Well, you know, there is a reason why I sit in the higher chair here than you. <laughs> it's OK. It's OK, sir. <laughs> I know when to retreat to the bar. See you soon. to have you back we're all back here and uh, ian's just brought over the drinks thanks ian now mike while uh, we were listening to that bit of music you were you were digging me in the ribs and saying there's something you wanted to continue that conversation with what, what was it mike well what it was was um on a serious note um history what is history about it's about learning from the past and not making the same mistakes again and recently there was some controversy about um the hiring of young civil servants, for example, in the Department of Finance or equivalent in the civil service. And uh, they don't know anything about the financial crisis of uh, 2008, for example. Unless there's a uh, program of, um, uh, not to be patronising, education for them, uh, how, do they, how would they make decisions, um, uh, thoughtful, uh, meaningful decisions about any crisis today? One would imagine that the algorithm used by uh, said department has been altered. So you are yes, that's. I, however, you are. Uh, is, that, is that a philosophical question? Yeah, is it, I, no, I, it was a statement. I wasn't meaning to question it. I was just that. 
that's what tends to happen in the, uh, the institutions in the city. When something goes wrong, they just change the algorithm that they use. And I would imagine that's what they're doing in the Department of Finance. Uh-huh. This, is, uh, this is rather like these dystopian novels, isn't it? And dystopian worlds where governments, uh, governments can change its relationship and change the people in that world with dehumanising them by in some way deactivating or activating something like that, an algorithm in the water or in their brains. I do quite like these dystopian novels, you know. The, so which uh, is your favourite then? Uh, my favourite dystopian novel is not Fahrenheit's how many? 451? 451. I quite like Brave New World. Yeah. By, you'd have to remind me, Mike. Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley, yeah. Aldous Huxley, yeah. thank you very much, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did like, I don't know if it would qualify as a dystopian novel, there was a programme I used to watch called Survivors, and the idea was that there's some sort of plague could spread around the world very quickly. Virus, mate. It was a, a virus. Virus. Because they reshot it. Um, yeah, they did the first series back in, I think, the late 70s, early 80s, and then they had another crack at it uh, about five years ago. And they started it where they filmed it. It was a little sleepy little estate in Manchester, what I was dragged up on. It's where they filmed it. That's the only reason I know it, because I recognise <laughs> the road signs. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's get back to what we were chatting about. Um, now what, civil servants? No, no, no this, this idea of true power coming from Google... How powerful is Google? Is Google too powerful? What do you think? Well, you only get the Google view. And I think when you're tapping in all around the world and you're getting the same answer, the same statement, and it must be boring for you, you know, a history teacher, or in the past, you know, you ask the question of, of your pupils, your students, and they all come back with the same answer. Isn't history also meant to be opinionated? Well, the thing is, if they all come back with the same answer, that becomes the answer, doesn't it? Yeah, but that, used, a, that, used, Donald, to be called, that used to be called plagiarism. It's the Donald Trump view of the world. If you just keep saying it is, then it is. But surely it's the same answer because they've all put the same sentence into Google and come up with the top hit. Whereas in the olden days, they would have gone off and to the library and picked different books and come back with different answers. But if, if we ask 100 people what the answer is and they all come back with the same one through Google that surely becomes the truth the truth is only what people wish it to be but that's the truth determined by the search term that you put in yeah if you want to jazz it up so how powerful is Google Google can determine truth don't don't look at me like that over my beer it's almost frightening (laughs) Google could fabricate truth absolutely but if you fabricate truth once it's the truth it's the truth if you say it's the truth and you are powerful enough that you can talk to 7 billion people every day which Google can surely your truth is the truth what if someone exposed the fact that it wasn't the truth the Google truth and uh, uh, actually questioned their power but what you're actually well, but who can do that mike who has the power to speak to as many people as google every day well rupert the bear i mean <laughs> who knows no one does no google, I, no one has is that like the american president's nickname then because well, we are actually there i mean you are talking about the reality we're living in when what actually is happening in the world is referred to as fake and what isn't happening in the world is referred to as news so it's it is quite disturbing it's quite a disturbing time to be in when we go in search of information and what we expect to see is is a breadth a breadth of information out there that's presented to us so that we can come to our own opinion not be fed a line that is so narrow and so intransigent that it that it becomes as you have just said the truth the problem is, though, that uh, in this uh, world, people want certainty. And uh, if it's a kind of Google certainty, it's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, free thought can be quite disturbing. Uh, if, without free thought, it's much easier, isn't it? It's much easier to be told this is the truth, this is the way. Right. Well, it ain't working in politics in this country at the moment, is it? I mean, I know we're not supposed to be discussing that because we're in, you know, in the bar and that is a subject that's banned. But, you know, we are we are in a situation where... Basically, as a nation, it is now freely admitted and proved by the courts that we we had this thing 
it's a word beginning with R, and I think we all put pieces of paper in a black box that's covered with plastic, and the courts have said that we were all lied to. Now... But let's pull back from that, and let's look at this idea that if there is a one thing in the world that is ubiquitous... I was just pointing out, that was the truth, but it was fake news. Or was it fake news? And I I don't know anymore, Bill, because do you know what? I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a ubiquitous power, which is Google. And if everyone uh, with a computer must use Google several times a day? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there are billions of times when this thing, Google, tells people something which, to be honest, they all believe. Well, happening every day. Google's powerful, isn't it? Google is, yes. And, and he is the most, well, they're now, well, they're, they're now the richest couple <laughs> in the world, I don't know about, or the richest two people when their money's put together. I mean, oh, my, richer than those two in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's billions in that case. <laughs> but as I said a few minutes ago, fabricated truth, and fabricate can mean make, or indeed make up. And so it can be a true construction or a false construction. And certainly when I look at Google, if it's something I'm just refreshing my memory on, like how many years is it since somebody died or is it so-and-so famous person's birthday today, then I'm going to believe that. Other things I take more with a pinch of salt. I think, yeah, there's a view there, but I'm going to look at another website now and see if it comes up with the same information. And I've forgotten what it was, but the other day I saw three websites with three completely different... It was meanings for a word. I was trying to do a crossword. And three completely different meanings of the origin of that word. I would suggest you're from a pre-Google generation, or at least you've got a time which is pre-Google, but people who have known nothing about Google, will be much less prone to query Google. And, and my point I'm making, and maybe I'm not making it very well, is that Google is so powerful that actually it's more powerful than any government. That power is real power. And how long before Google becomes more important than a government? And in fact, people stop listening to governments and say, well, Google says the alternative. But I think Bob's just come up with the, with the answer, which is... If you are of an older generation, which the four of us are, um, I can just think back to a a history O-level question, and it opens up with compare and contrast. There's no comparison. There's no contrasting going on. What is now swallowed is one line. But aren't we all happier for that? It's easier, isn't it? Well, no, because we come out to sit around a table we put our phones down we stop tapping on them and we converse we discuss what bothers us during the day we talk about what's going on around us in the world and we come to a opinion but you know what in that just shows we're a bunch of old men really doesn't it Set me free. Set me 
exactly whom I'm supposed to be Don't you know which clothes even fit me? Come on and let me know Should I cool it or should I blow? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So you gotta let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? Should I stay or should I go now? This is Red Button with Bill Lawrence and Ian Tallentire and, earlier, Adrian Cohen. I love that. And thank you very much for listening to the show tonight. We hope you're enjoying it out there, wherever you are. We're having a great time just shooting the breeze with a bit of later evening conversation here on Red Button here at Colm Radio 106.6 FM. And whether you're listening now or later, you're very, very welcome. Now, Bob, we sent Bob off and uh, he's come back uh, with a few soft drinks, Bob, which is uh, which is nice. Always have a little bit of a pause. So thank you for those. And, uh, Bob, you've been uh, a Colchester resident much longer than the rest of us. And so the next thing I wanted to talk about tonight was really something I think you probably have more um, knowledge of, maybe more expertise than the rest of us. I wanted to think about, uh, talking about power with Google, but moving on from that, sort of buildings that, or or, or places in Colchester that symbolise power. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, what buildings or places in Colchester for you are iconic symbols of power well I think if you ask the average man in the street the initial answers would either be Colchester Castle or Jumbo both very visible for different purposes of man's ability to construct and impress but in terms of power of the last hundred years I think it's the bank buildings in the high street they were all built to impress and to make their, their own customers full of awe. And that's, there's quite a few. I mean, it's, it's an interesting high street, isn't it? Architecturally and all the rest of it. High streets weren't, are not now what they were at all. And, and uh, people's banks uh, are, not, are not really, people don't go into the banks physically anymore. It's all done online. Those buildings are still there. And, and talk us through, because um, if we went to the top end of the high street, for all of you listening should know this, the end uh, where the old post office uh, is about to disappear from, uh, and North Hill, uh, there is a, a sort of strange sculpture of a lady, a very tall lady, and opposite that on the other side of the road is Barclays Bank, isn't there? Um, that's quite a building. That's right, yes. And it's that's probably the grandest of the yeah. ones. Um, the banking hall itself is massive inside, but outside it's an architecturally strong and impressive building. And built, and built very much to show the power of that, that bank. You give us your money and we are powerful enough for it to be safe and to look after it for you. Um, quite a lot of buildings like that, if you continue down that side, a lot of banks that we no longer have. Is the Midland Bank still a bank? Does anyone know? I don't think it, it exists. Is, yeah. is, it? still is that bank. Still, it's still a bank? That's, st- that's the HSBC, I think. Yeah. And very near to it is Lloyd's, which is probably the most beautiful building in the yeah. high street. Yeah. If you look above... In fact, if you look above any shop front in any town, you will see an interesting building. But the Lloyds Bank is particularly nice. You're forgetting the one bank on the other side of the road now. I mean, there used to be the TSB, which is now a pub chain building. But there is another 
bank on the opposite side, which is also a beautiful building. I guess you're talking about the co-op bank. I am talking about the co-op, but I don't think it was always a bank, was it? It was the repertory theatre when I was a boy. That's right. Harold Pinter told me personally that he acted there in his first acting job. Not many people know that. There you go. And, I, to, and to me, I mean, I, I, I get the whole point about the grandeur, um, the strength and the dominance of those buildings opposite with the more, you know, the more established banks. But to me, the co-op bank, I mean, OK, originally a theatre, but to me, it is a beautiful building with its domed, domed roof. Yes, yeah. yeah. And sadly, it's slightly overshadowed by the pillars of that grubby parade now that were the fire office yeah. um, bet- right. between the top of North Hill and the co-op bank. Um, but what, what's a building for, though? A building is not there for practical reasons. A functionality necessarily, is it? I like those buildings were built for aesthetic reasons, really, weren't they? Well, I was going to come in with that, with uh, the uh, other end of the high street and the Holly Trees um, Museum um, uh, tourist office at the moment. Such a beautiful building of proportion. And uh, to me, it's uh, the power of thought, not of dominance of, uh, of money. And uh, the uh, whole atmosphere around it and the park, it, uh, it's just uh, no Google, throw away your mobile phone and uh, just absorb the aesthetics and uh, think about um, reflecting about things, the valuable things of life. It's interesting, as, as we pause, and I'm going to go and get a drink now, just before I go, let's just think about the name Holly Trees. I wonder why, what, I wonder why it was called Holly Trees. Anyone any idea? <laughs> It's going to be simpler holly than just uh, holly, holly trees in the uh, front garden, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Oh, surely not as simple as that, Mike. Exactly. That was my point. <laughs> just in case I was missing. I wonder if it was a man from Norfolk who said, look <laughs> at them holly trees, boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe it was something ironic. Maybe it was a postmodernist thing. Maybe they didn't have any holly trees. They had everything but. Yeah. Or maybe there were crosses and they were holy I think it's more likely to be that, yeah. I think there'll be a lot of our listeners going in there when it opens tomorrow morning asking personally, why holly trees? I think we should be told. Is it on Google? (laughs) We'll know in a minute. I never will forget those nights I wonder if it was a dream Remember how you made me crazy Remember how I made you scream I don't understand what happened to our love Babe, I'm gonna get you back I'm gonna show you what I'm Arizona. 
Why do I despise Christmas trees? Because of the evergreen stink of gin I got a full face of whenever my daddy kissed me goodnight. Just a little sugar from my honeybee. Because he drank from a flask he stashed in his jacket and told me bedtime stories about his own bad daddy. Ham fists, fingers twinkling with rings he won selling cars. Voice like a Hemi engine, zero to sixty in the time it took to slam a door. You don't know you're hurt till you get a fistful of silver. Because a lullaby can be sticky as dried pine gum. Because they die. and this is my real voice when I'm not pretending to be from Essex. <coughs> Every Tuesday in the deep of the night, starting at 0-hundred hours here on Cone Radio, I present Bill's Big Bag of Onions. It's got nothing to do with onions and there is no bag. Just an eclectic blend of well-crafted music and thought-provoking spoken word. See 
absolutely love that song. And Mike, I saw you coming back from the loos there, dancing away to that record on the jukebox, I'm weren't just, you? I'm just absolutely. so spontaneous in public. My Marvelous. daughter gets very embarrassed. That's uh, Marlena Shaw, wasn't it? And California Soul, terrific. Now, I'm really keen to get back to what we were talking about. And um, while we were just... Uh, I actually went and got another little drink there. And uh, while we were just coming back from the bar, I was talking to Bob, and uh, I was saying to Bob, well, that's really interesting stuff about the high street. And uh, is there any other banks on the high street that you think are in trouble, Bob? I, I think the banks aren't in trouble, per se. It's the buildings that they exist in. Going forwards, the, there are already banks that are cashless now. You have to yeah. do everything in the machine. Yeah. How long before the machine is just on the outside wall and there's maybe one guy inside with a desk for mortgage arrangements? Um, but they're surely not going to knock the buildings down even if they're not used for banks. Well, that's the interesting thing that it's been some years now since pub chains took over big buildings like that libraries, uh, disused um, banks, and other theatres in Colchester, theatres, an opera house in Royal Tunbridge Wells where they still retain the sloping floor, interesting. Um, but I don't think there is a new movement that would be capable or interested in taking over those buildings as they are. Not even a, 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 a ubiquitous coffee chain for a, called Buck, Buck, Buck something. Star something. Buck's Fizz. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, I mean, they're high ceilings, they're cavernous, they're yeah. massive, aren't yeah. they? But the one advantage um, that we have as the people who can stand back and admire, admire them is that they own them. Um, so unless there is any great sort of financial reason for them losing them, they don't need to sell. They don't need to sell, no. No, it, it would come down to a balance of cost over profit, I guess. There used to be the upper floors would be full of staff, and I doubt that's the case. Now. Hunched over their desks, literally drawing up the accounts every day by hand, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. yeah great. And in my working life, uh, which I, I had a tentative foray into Barclays as a 17-year-old, right. and the managers had different toilets to the staff. So it was very hierarchical. Um, I'm sure all that's gone there's doubtful there's much hierarchy in the bank at all now so once the banks go is there any other buildings that are going to be going Bob any other ones of these once often used public facilities well it it changes the shape of the town centre doesn't it it could be that buildings like that reinvent as residential units and hopefully there would be nice ones and then the town starts to regenerate and local shops would come back to serve those people otherwise is the town centre, does it become a ghost place? And then why do the buses come there other than to be a convenient spot to get onto a different numbered bus? Well, you'd get on the bus in the town centre and go out to Tollgate, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, eat, but I, to I, eat your chicken and <laughs> chips. I pop in, I live quite near the middle of uh, the town, and I, I walk up to go and get a, a stamp. I go up and get to my uh, my uh, post office needs. That's still going to be there, surely. I hope so. I'm proud to say I did none of my Christmas shopping online this year. I did it all in shops. But you mentioned the post office, aren't you? You also mentioned earlier on that they're going. Are they? Well, where are they going? The Who owns them? It is the post office. Post office Royal counters, Mail is the post office it? counters are franchising with WH Smiths. Ipswich is already inside and was upstairs, which is... So we have yet another, I mean, I know it's not uh, an original building, it's a mock, but with another large building empty. Yeah, and if it's upstairs, what about disabled access? Well, quite, yeah. Really basic. Yeah. Uh, Bob, Bob, uh, Mar- Bob, sorry, Mike, you've suddenly burst forth, all excited, and you've been looking at something down, down on your lap, what is it? Well, I was trying to resist um, getting my phone out, uh, but... Um, I like uh, to have one up on you three. I mean, uh, it's uh, my round neck. So before I get there, I'd like to sort of, um, you know, just be in the chair, really, for some information. And um, I've just discovered that uh, Holly Trees was actually named after the planting of two Holly Trees in the grounds <laughs> by Charles Gray in 1729. Is I that the Charles... Because you don't know that, do you? Is that the Charles Gray that was known for his dreadful haircut? That's the one. I don't don't think he went to a high street. Uh, uh, a barber. A barber. No. From Turkey. 
No, he might have gone to a different right. kind of barber. But, uh, what what do people in Turkey call turkeys? Ooh. Do you know what they do? Mm. They, their word for Turkey is a word that means India, which is quite ironic as another name is of a country. Right? Oh. No, I made that up completely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. I've never heard of that. But, hey, uh, hey, calm down, fellas. We're getting funny looks from the bar. All that laughter is too much for the staff. <laughs> no, well, well, come on, Mike. Where did you find out something like that while we're uh, sitting here in a bar? How do you know about holly trees? Come on. When I was in the toilet, I, I quickly checked. I, got it. I must admit, I got it from Wikipedia. Oh, and I bet no. something else you don't know. Go on. The name of um, the name of Charles Gray's father, and what did he do? Was he Charles Gray Senior? Well, okay, that's quite smart. But his name was George Gray. What was his profession? Earl Gray T came from him. Well, he was a grazier, a local landowner. Landowner. Did he make beer? <laughs> a grazier, a local landowner, and the inventor of Earl Gray Tea. Hey. Well, you could only have known that if you'd used Google. Thank goodness for Google. Where would we be without Google? Come on. We'd, better off. Better off. We'd be nowhere, would we? Thank you, Google. Let's throw yeah. uh, Come on, let's We'd throw be reading the books. We'd the encyclopedia Google. would still be used. And all those kids would write essays with different words in them. <laughs> and if those uh, books like Fahrenheit 451, where the story is they uh, burnt the books, which was terrible, we, we would have to uh, know every word, just remember every word of a book and exchange it, the books between each other. Well, and that's I, a positive thought. Well, that. you know, I'm looking forward to the evolution of bigger brains. Bigger brains as the need to know more in order to win more quiz shows increases. And, of course, not only are we going to have bigger brains, but they're going to have growth of mobile phone tapping forefingers. And, and does thumbs. that mean, and does that, mean that uh, with um, bigger thoughts, brains will evolve into bigger shapes? Well, I don't know what shape yours is going to be, but mine's big enough already. Well... Red button. Conversation set free. Red button. listening everyone red button will be back next thursday at 9 p.m here on com radio 106.6 fm with more later evening conversation and music you've been listening to bob may and talentire mike harwood adrian kane and myself bill lawrence this is the red button moon quartet playing us out with their version of the box 39 theme message in the box goodbye and may the road rise with you Red Button has been a guppy production for Cone Radio.